0: Humble yourself before your mother. You've got to bend down low. Humble yourself before your mother. You've got to know what she knows and we can lift each other up. Higher and higher, we can lift each other up. Higher and higher, humble yourself before your sister. You've got to bend down low. Humble yourself before your sister. You've got to know what she knows and we can lift each other up. Higher and higher we can lift each other up. Humble yourself before your daughter, you've got to bend down low. Humble yourself before your daughter, you've got to know what she knows and we can lift each other up. Higher and higher, we can lift each other up. Humble yourself before your family. You've got to bend down low. Humble yourself before your family you've got to know what they know and we can lift each other up higher and higher we can lift each other up humble yourself before the ancestors you've got to bend down low Humble yourself before the ancestors, we've got to know what they know. Yes, we can lift each other up, higher and higher we can lift each other up, higher and higher we can lift each other up. Higher and higher we can lift each other up Humble yourself before your community You've got to bend down low Humble yourself before your community We've got to know what we know, yes we can can lift each other up Higher and higher we can lift each other up Higher and higher we can lift each other up Higher and higher we can lift each other up can lift each other up. Let's lift each other up. Hello and welcome
1: to the Womb Centered Healing Podcast. In this episode, I'm sharing uh, the audio recording from a the Sexual Healing and Patriarchy interview that I did with christina wolf in her facebook group a while back uh, her facebook group is the soul journey sanctuary and so i'm just uh, sharing the audio from that interview here in the next segment i hope you enjoy and uh, look forward to connecting soon
2: welcome everybody christina wolf here And I have with me Sama Morningstar, and this is the sexual healing and patriarchy discussion that we have been talking about. And today I wanted to bring up this really powerful topic because it's been on my heart over the last several months. And me and Sama have had some very healing discussions around how to process really difficult emotions. And so um, I wanted to, for those of you who are not familiar with Salma and her work, I'd like to introduce you to her. And if you could tell the audience a little bit more about what you do and what is
1: a, uh, the womb-centered healing temple? Ah. Well, um, <clears throat> I'm Salma Morningstar, and I am a womb healing specialist, and... Well, actually, I'm a womb awakening mentor and I, uh, I'm an embodiment, a feminine embodiment specialist to be more specific about that. And so what that means is womb awakening is about awakening, recognizing and activating our feminine power, our womb power that has been largely ignored, neglected, and um, suppressed for many thousands of years um, in the patriarchal system. And, And a big part of that is full embodiment, full spiritual embodiment, full emotional embodiment, full physical embodiment of really getting in touch with our whole bodies, including our womb space as women, especially because that that's one way that women and and everyone really has coped with the um, suppression of uh, being in a body that is central to the patriarchal systems is and then we we escape we disembody we disassociate and so the embodiment practices is part of that recovery and that reclaiming and reawakening of our womb power our feminine power and so um the, womb, the Womb-Centered Healing Temple is an online space that I recently received the call to create, and it's a collaborative space that, whose intention is to bring Womb-Centered Healing practitioners together to offer events and services to a larger community and really lift each other up um, so those who want to learn about Womb-Centered Healing for their own healing process as well as those who want to develop their their um, service vocational service to the world and helping other women to learn as well Uh, we can all lift each other up in a community of sisterhood and it's based on online although there are there are uh, murmurings of having in-person retreats and events as well so um, i I hope (laughs) yes Yes, and it wouldn't be so far for you coming from Texas to mm-hmm. come to, um, to California, and I'm sure you would probably enjoy that, but there's people all over the world in the womb Center Healing Temple, and I don't know if they're going to come, uh, no. but, but California is, I mean, I live in a destination area, so I can set it up at some very nice resorts um, yes. to have some, some retreats like that, so we shall see what the goddess has in store. <laughs> Well,
2: I wanted to um, touch on a few things you mentioned um, about the embodiment process. I think my particular difficulty in being safe or comfortable or even enjoying being in the female body was one of the reasons why I've been on this kind of lifelong quest for womb healing. I didn't realize that's exactly what it was, but... You know, a lot of people who know me, I have a lot of very masculine traits. I work in a very masculine um, profession, law enforcement. I was in the military. And yet, on the other end of it, I, I'm into herbal medicine and shamanic practitioner. And, you know, so this sort of push pull of the inner feminine, inner masculine has been a very big what i like to call soul journey um for me and i think many women in our culture are having this exact internal conflict Um, and when we talk about the patriarchy i want to be clear um i'm referring to the very specific process of suppressing the feminine not necessarily just women but feminine traits, things that are valued as feminine. Nourishment, um, agreeability, um, nurturing children, those sort of things. And so when we think about the patriarchy, for me, I think what gets people's back up is thinking that one is better than the other. And I think we've talked many times about how we all have masculine and feminine traits and i think for me the biggest imbalance was overvaluing masculine traits over my feminine traits and that suppression led to disease in my body namely womb-centered diseases like endometriosis and um heavy periods and pms and um from a metaphysical sense women like me who have been indoctrinated or culturized <laughs> is that the culturalization of women like me to believe that to be feminine is to be weak to be powerless and so we overvalue working making money um all of these very, very um, typically masculine traits and i I feel like that has harmed me in some ways that it's made it difficult for me to really truly connect with my male partners in my life. My first marriage, I was definitely the, the breadwinner type head of household. And I found that extremely dissatisfying. It wasn't what I really wanted. And so in my new, new partnership. I allow him to take the lead much more, and so we 've had some really powerful discussions about patriarchy and what it means and um, in the irony, <laughs> I have embodied far more feminine traits since talking about <laughs> the patriarchy and and um, this whole process of you know healing the womb because i believe the suppression of the inner need to express these things in our society is what's harming us i really think that that may be a form of suppression of the feminine is women who fear being too feminine because it's weak you know and and at the same time now there our partnerships, where we want to express that side of ourselves, it with our jobs, with our um, personal partnerships, and and that's why I bring up sexual healing because I found after many of the discussions, the you know, so, social political discussions I've had about the patriarchy and and feminism, that it was affecting the intimacy in my personal relationship and this new paradigm away from the patriarchy is sacred union where the divine masculine divine feminine is equally respected and they work together and that's the model that's the new model and so what do you have to say um about the process, like me, we could maybe take people through the process I had where I was really struggling with, how do I enjoy opening up and being safe and feminine with my partner if I'm feeling angry and like closed up about the trauma and the rage of feeling this suppression, this domination, if that makes sense. And some might argue that that doesn't exist and we're not here to discuss that. We're here to help people process their feelings if they are feeling that rage or that, you know, disconnect, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So
1: what
2: do you have to say? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you you touched on a key word there towards the end of what you were sharing, which is the patriarchy is from a domination model. So, um, and that's it's that's very, obvious and plain you know you can you don't have to look back in in archaeology to see that it's still going on today um and that's the domination of the masculine over the feminine and what there's a couple of things that come up around that as we are recognizing this pattern as unhealthy as we're seeing over the last you know number of thousands of years that it's really not healthy for humanity to have this domination model. It may have been an adaptive thing at one point where uh, you know one theory about how patriarchy got started is a big question because how it's so unhealthy for us how did we get started on this right and so there's one theory that there was a big cataclysm with the asteroid hitting the planet suddenly food is not as available there's a rift that happens when we undergo a trauma like that between the logical thinking brain and the subconscious the subconscious the body naturally suppresses the chaos of the subconscious and the emotions in order to be logically thinking and getting solutions and surviving, right? So that's a natural adaptive response and that sort of happened on a collective basis where some men who are best able to do that and really disconnect and they just took it a little too far. <laughs> All right and so, so that's where we're at. We're in a big collective trauma you know, repeating process. And so when we have, when we start to have self-compassion for the whole species, we can start to say, oh, okay. And when we see, for example, in our partners, who I'm hoping is somebody that we fell in love with at some point and um, (laughs) that we have an unconditional loving approach to at some point, the men that we may be partnered with are going to have been raised in the patriarchy which taught them in, to some degree or another at least to have some relationship of domination over their feminine inside of themselves. We have been taught as women to have our masculine traits dominate our feminine traits. So when we see that as a collective ailment, then we can start to um, Yes, feel the the anger, the grief, the pain of the disease and about the disease, but we don't need to take it out on ourselves or take it out on our partners or perpetuate that. We can start to use our best trauma healing, trauma recovery skills, which say that actually, you know, taking revenge on someone isn't really getting you anywhere. Yes. You need to feel your anger. You need to release it from your body. You need to feel whatever feelings are coming up and let your body go through whatever unwinding it needs to, to feel those feelings fully and release them, release the energy, the survival energy that's, that's, that's behind a lot of those emotions. And then, find the core of your own inner power on the other side of that. And that's the thing with the domination model. We have to start to look and see what the reality is. The truth in that domination model is not what we've been taught. What we've been taught is that the dominators have the power, but the truth is dominators are completely dependent on other people to get their power, they have to have someone to dominate and to take power from in order to have any power because their the locus of their power is outside of themselves. so their power is measured by how much money they have, how many you know lovers, beautiful, sexy young wives they can have in a row or all at once maybe uh, <laughs> how many how many people they have control over and will do their bidding, okay? So that is an external locus of power. They're completely powerless on the inside of themselves. And you that's can, why...
2: There's narcissism involved. Like That sounds very much like narcissistic personality disorder. That
1: And that is... Used
2: exactly. as sources rather than in interconnection. And I think that's probably why this disorder is coming up so much in people 's relationships they're noticing this as a toxic relationship pattern and and it's not just it's, a
1: man to I, I a woman. would call it yeah, and I would call it something a little bit different even than toxic. I would call it um, parasitic yeah absolutely. so you know a toxin is a, you know of course a, a substance that 's harmful, so there could be you know even in, with a parasite there's usually a toxin or assist a whole setup of toxins involved, say, with like, uh, you know, abdominal parasites, right? Um,
2: <laughs> way to get
1: biomystical with tox. you, right? Just to get yep. biomystical, right? Uh, so there can be a toxin that numbs the site of the the sucker of the parasite attaching mm-hmm. to the host's body, right? There's some numbing there. There might be another toxin that dissolves the tissue or the blood or whatever that... Right. Mm. Right. (laughs) And so there there we see all these emotions
2: that they're being drained. Exactly.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so that parasitic relationship, then, you know, that that parasite is dependent on that host. And and, you know, it makes me also um, there's another bio biological uh, metaphor that I use to describe the the domination model, but it's a little bit off and I'll explain how, but you got to let me get to the full circle of the the little story here. So there is a, a symbiotic relationship between a sea snail and a jellyfish, okay, where they attach themselves to each other and one of them will start. Uh, parasitizing the other and grow really big and the other will shrink really small. But it gets to the point where if they parasitize the small one any longer, that small one will die and then the big one is also going to die because it has no longer a source. So that's, it can't suck anything more from the small one. just before it dies, it stops sucking off of it. Then the small one starts to suck off the other one. And grows bigger and bigger. until, And they go back and forth like this. Wow. And it's somewhat like the yin-yang symbol, okay, where the feminine grows big and fat and there's the seed of the masculine in the center. But it's at the skinniest when the feminine is at the fastest fattest. And then the masculine grows big and fat and it's got the seed of the feminine in the center and the feminine's the skinniest when the masculine's the fattest. And so there's this sense that there's a natural flow and flux between the two, the dualities. Now, I feel that it is possible and that it's very adaptive, especially for a species like us who's taken it to such an extreme, to come to a partnership model where there's not a domination, where instead of just sucking off one until it's to the brink of death and then back and forth that there's a mutual give and take where both partners are nourished by the presence of the other and mm-hmm. there's plenty of models in nature of that and we talk about this snail and jellyfish because it's sort of not really the norm <laughs> All right but most ecosystems have an equal partnership with all between all of the components and it and it's balanced when it's a healthy ecosystem and that there's a cooperation even at a microorganism level uh, between all of the organisms living in harmony in order to have a healthy system our body is an example of that of a healthy co-created cooperative partnership between all of these um organisms, cells, uh, parts that work together and nourish each other and receive nourishment from each other. And so that model is what I feel we, uh, those of us who still retain and start to learn to cultivate and protect our inner power, our womb power, or for men uh, those who or those who don't have a womb, it's the Hara power. If you used to have a womb, it's your womb space power, right? this direct connection to source and inner power, which is the true power. When we start to learn to um, value that, not because we're making that dominant over something else, but just because that's the true power. Mm -hmm. That's what's really of value at all. And this other model recognizing the fallacy of it. And when we see that, that dominating any, having any kind of one aspect of ourselves dominating another aspect of ourselves completely undermines our power, the very thing we're trying to get. Right. Then, then it's like, oh, why was I playing that game? That doesn't make any sense, right? Totally made oh, me sick, took I my power me, away. Why, you know?
2: why are we playing that game? And I, I think some of it, um, if you can go back to the snail and the jellyfish thing, one of them who's being, you know, the parasited, <laughs> you know, the source. Yeah. Right. They have to be in a weakened state where they don't feel that they have any agency. Where that, I don't have a sense of self. I am only me with you. <laughs> Stuck mm-hmm. on me, basically. And mm-hmm. I think um if you look at, those narcissism path relationships, some of that is very similar that when the empath decides I have boundaries and I don't need you and I'm cutting you off, then their source is gone. But Mm -hmm. there's an inherent sense that as an empath, my desire is to nourish and to give Mm -hmm. and to be a source basically. But Mm -hmm. there isn't that underlying understanding of partnership. One wants to dominate, the other one wants to partner, and then somewhere in there it becomes, like you say, toxic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So what if we are in that predicament? Where, you know, other than becoming a a full sense of agency? And and I will say um, this process of needing to find validation externally is in fact a masculine uh, concept anyone, anyway, When I say masculine and feminine, I'm not talking like just a man, just a woman. I think um, in our culture, men are taught not to value their inner intuition. And women, if they do, it's considered um, a form of hysteria or chaos or um, it's not valued. <clears throat> and so the women who suppress their feminine <laughs> to function in a patriarchal society are operating in a very masculine way. And I've said it multiple times. And so what we have is many people running around trying to find source outside of themselves. And that's where the dysfunction is because then they maybe find someone who has that sense of agency or um, internal compass, or they are connected to source (laughs) And it's not the norm to talk about it, to develop that, to you know, us having these discussions. Most of the time, um, I've had to kind of go outside my normal circles to have these sort of conversations. I know um, <clears throat> the average person probably isn't going to be thinking about this on a conscious level. And for so for those of us who are, um, the problem with that is they're still feeling all these feelings, they're still experiencing the beingness of this unsymbiotic dominated relationship and they're not processing the feelings of that in in a healthy, conscious
1: way. And so they're just perpetuating it. They're just repeating the pain and, and perpetuating the suffering of it. And There's one other little piece you were saying
2: that maybe we have this big cataclysmic event in our you know history of a species, and we're just like this domination is a response to that trauma, as you're saying, but maybe now we're starting to feel safe again to, to express those safer feelings of nourishment there's no need to dominate if we trust that we're going to nourish each other you know and and so what do you think about this process of shifting from fear of being dominated for me that was the biggest thing i was over masculine because i was, i had fear of being dominated i had a sense that this was not right <laughs> that i did have a sense of agency and I do think that many women who feel anger or rage at that lack of agency or domination are, are then attacked
1: <laughs> for having those beliefs. So,
2: you know, there, it's kind of well, like...
1: So, okay, I have a few things to say about that. Um, one is we can feel... Anger or rage and, and then we can choose what to do with that anger or rage mm-hmm. if if the only option that we are aware of or have been programmed to uh, in to respond to our own rage or anger that we feel is the option of dominating somebody else then when we feel that anger and rage and what we do with that anger and rage will be perpetuating the domination
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and will evoke further domination from others towards us so there is and i'm not saying that when somebody feels dominated by somebody else that it's their fault (laughs) That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying we have to choose how we engage with that energy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what that means is instead of, or whether or not we even engage with that energy. So for me, I have a lot of anger and rage towards my father, for example, but I figured out long ago that if I try to express that to him, all that does is he's much better at dominating than I am. And it just makes him dominate me even more. Mm. So it serves absolutely no purpose. It absolutely does not help me to get free of the domination cycle to express my anger and rage to him in any way, shape or form. I, I at one point very calmly and very clearly Even tempered, wrote him a letter saying, deliberately disinviting him from my wedding because my sister warned me that just not inviting him wasn't going to do the trick, that he would probably crash my wedding if he heard about it from any of his brothers who I had invited, right? And I'm like, okay, I don't want him showing up. I don't want to have to deal with him at my wedding. Because there is no other way of being with him except to be dominated by him. He has no other relational pattern available. And I didn't want that. And so he proceeded to try to dominate me in his reply letter. (laughs) You know, which, okay. But if I had come at him with, you know, shared my anger with him at all, it would have been much worse.
2: Well, because as as it was language at that point. And he's yeah, like, okay, exactly. Let's he's, go. And then <laughs> let's he
1: wants, they want people who are into they domination, want they engage. want you to be upset, they want you to engage, they want you to pour your energy into this emotional interaction interaction with them, and they're always gonna be better at dominating than you are.
2: Well, because as long as you are engaged and distracted, you're not fully you're only in reaction mode and you're not fully expressing yourself as yeah. yeah. You know, full and so the be- on your own. <laughs>
1: yeah. So the better thing that I've found, the more effective thing and more empowering thing for me to do with my anger is to let it be the motivation that I need to make the changes in my life, the structural changes in my life that nurture my inner power independent of the dominators Mm -hmm. so so you know we talk about doing anger release and all of that i say feel that anger yes sometimes we need to do the anger release but i say feel that anger and let it be the fuel for making the tough changes you might have to make to find your to create yeah setting the boundaries (laughs) uh setting the boundaries to get yourself away from them, but also to nourish your own sovereignty, whether that's financial sovereignty or, um, you know, emotional sovereignty, you know, take it to a therapist, take that anger to a therapist and a somatically oriented therapist yeah. at that, you know, I would say, and
2: let me interject one thing though. Um, it's easy to stay, in that angry place because I've been there, I've ha- I've got lots of fuel, <laughs> you know, I've lots of fuel in my relationship. At some point though, there needs to be a, like you say, a release of it, a softening. And I think a lot of people feel that anger may be the only safe emotion, especially men. I feel like in, men, even though they're hurt, they're sad, they're jealous, they're whatever. The only acceptable re- a, uh, emotion is anger. And so for women, sometimes getting angry is the hardest thing for them to do. And that's a good thing. It's kind of like, again, in you know, traditional Chinese medicine, if, if you have a disease that's based on coldness in your body, they apply heat, you know, and vice yeah. versa. If you have too much heat, you need to apply cold. So everything's about balance. So for me, I felt like I had way too much yang energy, way too much anger in my relationship. And I've had to apply the yin. I had to get back into the womb-centeredness. And when we started working together, um, it was like, wow, what a relief like my body was remembering a lot of things that inherently it knows and was not able to express Mm -hmm. and where the one the one part that i think i want to say i struggled the most with was being in this closed off closed-hearted angry space and it would flare up as like i'd read something in the news you know like um you know, stuff about the Supreme Court justice guy, his whole hearings like flared me up, you know, and then, you know, whatever, there's multiple examples, um, you know, that young man from Stanford with the uh, sexually assaulting the girl on campus and then getting no, you know, minimal uh, punishment. I'd have these huge flare ups of anger at like, and then I'm having to come home to my partner who's wanting me to be this loving open caring woman and i'm just all bristles and anger and you know i felt like i really had to do the work to take the armor like you you and i have used that word a few times in a private conversation like unarmoring yourself in your personal relationships mm-hmm. i do think absolutely there is a time and a place for armor <laughs> if you're with a very dominating disrespectful person who is um being deliberately um violating of your boundaries or trying to dominate or whatever absolutely there's a time and a place for armor and anger but in your personal relationships um and i say this not just with my partner but i have three sons and my i have to look at my example of patriarchy i can't i can't hate men and have three sons you know and i don't hate men at all (laughs) i work around them all the time i think i relate to men quite a bit more in some ways than i do women naturally and so me working to open up and relate to women has been part of this work for me of womb-centered healing of allowing me in and because I wasn't relating to that piece within me, if that makes sense. But as I become more yin, more feminine, um, my boys get more of a mother. (laughs) They get more of a nourishing mother. They get more of, um, when my oldest son has an awful lot of notions about patriarchy and feminists, I can have meaningful discussions with him Where he's allowed to express his own thoughts, and I'm holding space for him and not getting angry. Like, why are you thinking this way? You know, like he's he has very immature notions about you know feminism and and the patriarchy and and whatnot. And that's okay. Think what you need to think, but be a critical thinker. You know, (laughs) think Mm -hmm. what you need to think. But I, if I was stuck in that rage, that anger. I would try to shut them down. I try to
1: dominate. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I—that's why I was saying what I was saying earlier—is that uh, as we develop our own emotional wisdom and and choice, right? So, anger does not necessarily mean domination, right? It's understandable that we would have that of understa- that, that understanding or that feeling or that assumption given the, the guidelines that we've seen in our society and possibly the experiences we've had with adults when we were young children and like that. So that t- helps us with, uh, for me, I had a big fear of anger, both from someone else expressing it, particularly a man, and from my own expression of anger, I, f- I was afraid of that for two reasons. One, that, I, that it would evoke a a bigger dominating anger from a a more dangerous anger response. If I shared my anger at all, that was the biggest one. But I think also that I didn't want to be that dominator, Mm -hmm. you know? So if I, so that was the only option for anger. But since then I've learned that anger can be a very transformational, a transformative energy. So like in China, you talked about Chinese medicine. Anger is associated with the liver and the liver's job is to take the toxins from the blood and change it into bile, which then goes through your gallbladder and into your stomach to help you digest the richness of life, digesting fats and proteins to be nourished. So the liver anger transforms the toxins of life into an assistant for your nourishment process Mm -hmm. and of course then it also will eliminate the unusable parts of the toxins but our anger helps us sort that out what's useful in this it's the fire that that sifts it right It, it, it sorts it out for us if we're connected to, with our womb with it too. The womb is, a, is an important sorter outer as well. We can talk about that uh, too because, because our womb, uh, we've been taught to only use one power of the womb. Well, maybe more than one, but the main one that we're taught to use as women emotionally is to hold things in. Mm. Okay. And that's in response to the whole suppression. We really shared how we felt as women. We'd we'd be violently treated. Okay. There's a long history in all cultures, colonization, witch burnings, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. We've had a very serious. And so it's understandable that we really strengthened that womb power of holding it in, holding our feelings in, holding our rage in holding other people that need our care in our wombs, Um, attempting to hold people that are dominating us in our wombs, possibly to heal them so that they don't have to dominate (laughs) us anymore, right? All kinds of ways that aren't so healthy. And pretty soon our wombs are just full of too much stuff that we're holding in there. And we're not taught to celebrate and augment the womb power of releasing what no longer serves we have that go on with our menstruation every month this great opportunity to release any patterns just like that liver sorts through it and releases and transmutes and finds what's useful and lets go of the rest <clears throat> the womb does that in an even bigger way and can help us to differentiate just like in childbirth when the baby is born the womb knows what part belongs to the mother what part belongs to the baby and how to un disentangle those because they're totally merged before for blood to flow and all kinds of systems in there flowing and mutual nourishment, right? So okay, it's time for that baby to come out. We're gonna without harming the mother or the baby, ideally, mm. out that baby comes. The womb knows how to do that very powerfully, more so than any other organ in the body, right? right. And so as we start to recognize and and strengthen those powers in all aspects of our life not only does it help us if we are going to have a baby um, because our inability to do that sort of thing in the rest of our life is also going to impede our ability to do that if we're giving birth to a baby Um, so developing that in the other aspects of our life helps us on all counts okay and so that helps us in saying you know what this relationship isn't working for me anymore, or, oh my goodness, this person that I've been nurturing needs to find their own source of power. So for like children, right? Or even in relationships where you might have a mutual agreement or a soul contract of, okay, I'm going to come to you at a certain point in your life where you're going to really need my help. And I'm going to support you and nurture you. And then I'm going to let you find your own power. I think a lot of relationships have those agreements, healthy ones. Mm-hmm. That, but that we get into trouble when we stay stuck in that way of relating where, you know, one person is nurturing the other and then they're dependent on them for that power. And so the trick is to activate that womb power of healthy differentiation and say, you know what, this is your job. You know what, now this, I'm going to give this job to you. Now I'm going to let you develop that and not do it for you anymore. And I think so,
2: you're, you're saying let them develop. A piece of them. I, I think yeah. when women um, gets very in tune with their womb wisdom, and they become, you know, more embodied with feminine energy, they're inviting their partner to then respond or relate to them in a different way. For me, um, with my partner, I've had to hold myself in a certain energy for them to not relate to me in a way like i refuse to be dominated no we're not going to relate to each other this way um you know i don't want to be dominated and that's not the kind of relating i want to do with you so find a different way to relate to me
1: (laughs) you know and And, you know um, and my my challenge with that is um I am a bit allergic to the domination model. So I'll often um, react in such a way uh, that isn't conducive to building the partnership model too. So um, and, and, and it doesn't even have to be a real big, potent domination kind of a thing. You know, there's all kinds of subtle ways that men and women, we've all been programmed to dominate each other. (laughs) And so, so any small little flavor of it (laughs) in my husband, and it's taken me quite a few years to learn how to sort out, you know, the feelings I have about it. And you were talking about the softening. Oftentimes my anger is, covering up a much more vulnerable or tender feeling like fear or sadness. And when I can express the full spectrum of my feelings about something, I had an example of this the other day. My my husband got upset about something, a way that I responded to him, a boundary that I had. And I still have an edge when I express boundaries sometimes, especially if I know that someone really wants something and I, and I don't want to do it. I have a fear of being dominated, right? And so I will um, respond sometimes kind of uh, ineffectively out of that fear. I'll, I'll put my boundary up more strongly than it needs to be that impedes the the flow of partnership energy between us, right? Instead of making him an ally and saying, well, I have this and this going on. Can you support me with this? And then it'll be easier for me to uh, give you what you're asking for. I say, nope, can't do that. No, nope. that, you know. <laughs> and so, I, I struggle and then, with this then, too.
2: It's yeah, yeah. It's difficult to be determining um when, you're, when we're talking about a sense of agency i think the struggle is if i give in to you i give up sense of self mm-hmm. if, and and i think i really want to touch on this the actual sexual interaction piece because mm-hmm. i feel that um i had issues with my partner looking at me from that like very typical uh patriarchal way of sex object or um and not and, and a lot of it was projection in my mind you know like mm-hmm. um i don't want to be involved with you sexually if i'm going to be treated like a sex object or mm-hmm. or well, um, you know really being... receptacle for your right. desire. <laughs> you know and that's
1: very complex but it's mm-hmm. pretty simple at the beginning uh if we look at it because um it's You know, men are very and women are too, but men tend to be very visually stimulating, visually aroused. Okay? So from a biological Yes. (laughs) Right? And so that doesn't necessarily mean that they're wanting to dominate. Okay? That's the programming that we've received and the experience maybe that we've had but we can activate our womb power there to help us discern if that indeed is what's going on. And if we're with a loving, tender, attentive partner, which Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that we all are. And that if we're not and our, and we start to activate our womb power, it's She's going to let us know that that's not possible with this person. And then we're going to have to move on. But, if we are with a loving attentive partner then the womb awareness is going to come in and say oh what if i express this fear of being dominated instead of the anger that they're being patriarchal by looking at me that way mhm oh i guarantee you
2: where they they you know and then it's a different shifting of mindset where it's like No, you're my partner. I love you. I want to be with you. And now your anger is making you inaccessible. And But if
1: you, right, if you say, my anger is covering up my fear Mm -hmm. of being dominated, can you help me with that?
2: Yeah.
1: And I guarantee you a loving partner is going to say, of course, I don't want to dominate you. That's Mm -hmm. not what I have in mind. I think it's it so attracted to you
2: intimacy to be yeah. to share that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's just been my experience that most men, me and me and my partner, we have this saying. When I very first met him, I said, "Are you someone who protects the treasure or plunders the treasure?" <laughs> and he is like that sat with him, like he never had to think about that before. And that was like, you know, over a decade ago. And, but it's been a theme for us. Like he, he very much feels, and I think most men, if they have a partner that they care for, and they love their goal is to love and protect them and to keep them safe. Like, I think that is one of the positive traits of masculinity is, mm-hmm. is to be like a loving father, figure or, um, you know, a protective source or, or presence in our lives. And, and we rely on that. It, I know if I had like, a, you know, zombie apocalypse here, I'd like my partner to be there to help protect me. And-
1: yes. And then the, the trick is, especially, well, for both men and women, is to sort out healthy, protective from the domination-based protectiveness. So yes. can, and we, so can, done we that. can learn. And I had to yes. sort of
2: school him in subtle ways. Like, if you want to provide this for me, this is the way I can receive it. You know, yeah. but when you do this, it feels like this for me and I don't like it you know, mm-hmm. and yes. having those discussions and communications. I mean, we've had some very good discussions about, um, you know, equality and the patriarchy and, and what does this mean? And like, and I have said, I don't think you feel that way towards me, you know, but I'm angry about it, you know, like whatever situation was going on on the news or whatever. And, and he would sit with me and go, you know what? That's just not right. I don't like that either. And I really feel that a lot of men don't agree with the domination model. And, I, and I'm not going to say that my guy, my guy's actually a very mas- macho masculine alpha male. And he has had to really examine, like, a, he's like, you really make me think about what it, your experience as a woman. is like, I've never thought this much about it. (laughs) It's like, so I feel like maybe that's kind of part of, um, and and it's his role to show me like where he's coming from too, because I don't, I think that men are taught to believe that being a man being masculine is bad and it's not there. There's many admirable, admirable traits. Um, Mm -hmm. And to love that part of him that wants to protect and and partner. But I will say this. I think that in our culture, the only way, I don't want to say only, I don't want it to overgeneralize, but men, the only way they feel safe to express feminine qualities, like nurturing, um, loving, whatever, is within a romantic partnership that they very rely heavily on their female partner as their source to express this side of them. It's not something they're gonna show their male friends. You know, they won't go out and with their buddies and be like, can I cook you dinner? Let's hang out, you know I mean? But I see where my partner is very loving and nur- nourishing and nurturing to
1: me. And, well, and that's, that is a bit of an overgeneralization because I'll tell you about my husband he he would like he used to work as a as an electrician at a big organization where there was a whole maintenance team of all the guys right the construction workers and the carpenters and and he'd bake cookies and take them in that's,
2: that's good like we i think and, we do
1: but listen to this
2: too much I don't, know.
1: listen to this <laughs> <laughs> we ran into, because he hasn't worked there for a long time, but we went back to that place as guests, because it was a big resort, and we went back as guests, and his old coworkers were all showing up, hey, how you doing, like that, and they see me, and they meet me there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're such a good baker, and I'm like, when did you bring stuff that I baked? I never baked anything for you to bring to work. You know, and later, and later's like, "Oh, I used to bring cookies all the time." I said, "But you made those." They think I made those. Was
2: like, That's funny. <laughs> That's awesome. But for real, like they, his friends, his co-workers naturally assumed it was the woman in his life exactly. who did that. Exactly, because,
1: because they couldn't see, and they were also surprised. It
2: boggled them to think, like, I know
1: oh. they they can't figure it out. He went off to study to become a massage therapist and now he's a recreational therapist where he provides all this amazing nurturing to all these people not only in the two psych wards where he works but to all the staff as well and and, and he's getting to express his Exactly. Momentum. And that's the first time he's been happy with his work in his entire life because he gets to express his fullness. I will of, say as a human being
2: that for men it's been my experience especially with my my youngest son and and to a certain extent my other two older sons but my youngest son said to me one day I don't want to be a boy anymore because girls get to be more creative and I Mm -hmm. said oh no baby like you know I just my heart was like oh poor thing because for boys they're so conditioned like you shouldn't play with unicorns you shouldn't like cats you know you shouldn't want to draw that sissy stuff. Like there's so much of like when a boy expresses.
1: It's love. shifting though, Christine, yeah. it's shifting.
2: And, and I've, I've had like some serious discussions with his dad about like, absolutely not. You're not going to shut him down. He likes cats. He likes drawing. He likes, you know, whatever he, it doesn't mean he necessarily is going you know, even if he grows up to be gay or transgender, I'm good with it, you know. He's I more
1: likely, violence. I feel like he's more likely to grow up being gay or transgender if he's if taught that a heterosexual man can't do all the things exactly. that he likes to do. Then exactly. If, he, if, he, if a heterosexual man is allowed to do whatever he likes to do, then he can stay a heterosexual uh, man and not have to cut it off. I think that
2: men are just as equally put in a box as as women are. Um, but that is again an example of the suppression of the feminine. Men are not allowed to express feminine traits. It's not socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um at the same time, I can hear my partner now like, I don't wanna do that. You're the woman. You you know, there's some people it's very black and white, very cut and dried. And mm-hmm. you know, I kind of require a guy who is very um masculine because then it allows me to be really feminine because when i was with someone who was wishy-washy i i had the tendency to take over and dominate and that was not satisfying to me it wasn't healthy to me it didn't feel healthy to me you, So you
1: need a certain energy to partner with to have a, say, a, a balanced partner have
2: you i bring up this book the clan of the cave bear uh all the time but it was one of the books it was a very pivotal book in my life um as a young girl and in the story i don't know if you guys are familiar if you're not it's a great book about prehistoric man and Ayla, a human woman lives with the neanderthal tribe and they have this spiritual ceremony kreb the the shaman of of the tribe the, um, the clan um they go through this rite of passage where she chooses her animal totem or rather the animal totem chooses her and she's mauled by a lion a mountain lion and she, they find her in a cave and um, her adoptive mother isa a medicine woman nurses her back to health after she almost dies from this scar of being mauled by a lion. so she's got this huge lion scar on her and Kreb the shaman is like that's impossible. She's a woman. She can't have a lion animal totem. That's too strong of an essence for her. And but yet he's like nope, this is what spirit's showing to me. Like you you have this lion, you know, your lion spirit is your totem. So she later goes off into um you know, she gets exiled. But later she finds a a human man who's also mauled by a lion Mm. and he, that's his animal totem too. And so she's like, wow, I have finally found a match. Like my spirit is, his spirit is strong enough for my spirit. And like,
1: that's kind of how I feel about me and my partner, you know, like, well, well, and it sounds like
2: I need that strong lion
1: energy. Yeah. Yeah. To meet the strength of your masculine but i bet you that inside of you you have a similarly strong feminine energies and so does your partner
2: oh absolutely there are so many things about him that are are very nurturing that like he hides very much and i think because i allow him to elicit that like around me he feels good about who he's being if that makes sense he doesn't have to be this big, strong guy all the time. He can let down his guard a little bit. And he knows I'm going to have the ability to take care of him (laughs) if he needed it, which he doesn't like the idea of, but I think it gives him a sense of safety, too.
1: Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting because um, women have, um, I know I have sort of grumbled about this. Way that it works to smooth things with male female relationships in that we all kind of know that if we really want something That our husband might not agree with that if we make it feel like it was their idea or allow them to have the idea that it was their idea and my husband and i joke around this all the time even though there's a little kernel of truth in it you know Uh if if i wait for it to become his idea then he's all about it but i know i planted the seed six months ago and he raged against it right (laughs) and so um and and what i'm getting right now as you're sharing about that is that it actually it goes the other way too that uh, that possibly we can find a way to allow, our, to like, I don't know, allow our husband's nurturing or feminine side to be expressed through us. But does that mean we're going to do all the dishes? That's not right.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, he, he'll do it. He, he does dishes too. Like, but see, that's the difference. He came to me, already feeling that he is a self sufficient person. And maybe I think that's another aspect that I, I like about I, him. it. Yeah, I don't bother him at all.
1: Right. And, and I think, though, that it's going to, where it can show up that way is through sexuality. So it feels to me the more we melt into our own feminine openness around our sexuality the more they c- men can express both their masculine and their feminine side. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because we're already over-dominating. Everybody is already too much masculine and needs to come out a little bit more feminine. Yeah. And the two together
1: will be the balance, really. Mm-hmm. And so if we can model uh, that balance of, you know, the sexy place is where the feminine is totally revered. That's the sexiest place Mm -hmm. where the feminine is being worshiped and where the feminine pleasure is brought to its ultimate height because the feminine body is the guide to, to pleasure. I mean, that's where all the pleasure resides. And the more pleasure a woman is having, the more pleasure a man can have. And so if we shift that focus and become devoted to our own pleasure, not depending on the man to give us the pleasure, but to become devoted to our own pleasure, then he wants to be involved in that pleasure. And we can certainly train him in how to be in service and devotion to our pleasure I will,
2: and I think it asks them to expand outside of the comfort zone of the very oversimplified sexuality that's being fed to young men and men in general. In well, that's a, it's,
1: a teenage, it's a teenage level of sexuality that most men are operating into because they haven't been initiated into full adult sexuality, um, and most women, for that matter are the same because we don't have sex positive initiation for teenagers. Oh,
2: or I would, I would even venture to say a desire to become aware or conscious of something beyond the reactionary state. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's most of the population is in, you know, unaware, asleep state mm-hmm. and, you know. Everyone who feels so enlightened will always have a little bit more enlightenment to go <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: exactly and and the thing is with embodiment, like we were talking about at the beginning, uh, you know there's a there's a difference between spiritual practices that are about transcendence or ascension or liberation from the cycles of life and death and mm-hmm. then and, and that that 's often you see a lot of practitioners say who were severely traumatized as children who coped with their trauma by completely disembodying Mm -hmm. and dissociating from their bodies. And they explored all of the unseen realms, completely disembodied from their bodies and developed all of these sensitivities, parapsychology, you know, all these uh d- interdimensional travel all of this because they were escaping
2: that in like gnosis spirit is considered masculine
1: mm-hmm.
2: being in the body is feminine and evil like look right. at the witch trials they looked at um you know just the concept of it. women were inherently evil because they they, they um incited lust in the physical flesh body that's
1: all the foundational belief system of this spiritual system of saying in order to uh, to reach
2: be celibate in order to
1: reach disembodied with divine you have to leave the body that heaven is someplace else out there not on this planet Sorry. So that that whole foundational belief system that the feminine is evil because she keeps perpetuating this you know oh, embodiment and, and sexuality you know, I, and birth.
2: literally and, where spirit comes into the physical okay. world
1: <laughs> so feminine spirituality is go, ha, invites the energy in the other direction and has a cosmology of wait a second no heaven is here on earth if we can fully bring our spirit into physical form, which our bodies are designed to do as women. And of course, male bodies have the assistant role, protective role, to support this embodiment of spirit, full embodiment in spirit. And and in that process, we are learning that actually we can alleviate human suffering instead of escaping from it. We can actually fully embody and really engage with it and, and use, you know, activate our emotional wisdom, our womb power, our creative power to create a new world Mm -hmm. that honors the body. And that uh, brings full spiritual awareness and awakeness into into our physical form, and there are many cultures, it has ancient spiritual cultures, spiritual
2: and physical. Exactly,
1: uh, is a marriage, which is right, a partnership, yeah. and and so that that embodiment, these embodiment practices, are are really important for that. And one of, you know, so we've been talking about some of the first things that happen. You discover your grief. You discover your forbidden feelings. You learn how to navigate them. You relearn how to be in partnership. Uh, I also think illness is a huge teacher as well. Like for me to learn embodiment
2: practices, illnesses like my migraines, like my endometriosis, those those things taught me to look at different ways of putting energy through my body and learning to be in my body. Like those are all signs that I'm not comfortable being in the female body, Mm -hmm. right? Or a body period <laughs> yeah. and 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 so if if you are feeling like maybe stress in the body of physical ailments um, the, to use womb centered healing as the starting point for embodiment <laughs> physical you know, you get you got to heal the disease by by moving the energy back in a more positive way I want to say positive, but feminine way. Mm -hmm. Because if if you're over yang, (laughs) you need yin. (laughs) You know, you need the balance.
1: Yeah. And, you know, my experience with a lot of womb-centered healing practitioners is that, that, like myself, is that I did a lot of embodiment practices for a long time before I ever called it womb-centered healing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, and, and that that's becoming the thing right now because collectively we're at a place where we're recognizing that and many more and more people are waking up to the importance of that. But for many of us practitioners, I mean, I, I had a sense of it, but I would never have called it womb centered healing until just a few years ago. I don't think so. And so, yeah. And that brings it to, to the whole sexual healing part. You know, we notice I just want to point out that in this discussion about sexual healing and patriarchy, we're not talking about sexual techniques. No. A lot of people who get drawn into the whole Tantra thing and, you know, learning how to breathe and do certain te- sexual techniques in order to have a better sex life, end up skipping over this emotional aspect that is the building that are the building blocks of true intimacy Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of sexual exploration out there that that develops uh you know like that that i'm such a great sexual performer i can do all this and that and so i just want to caution people to that because um You know, that's the same kind of sexuality with a disconnection sometimes. Not everyone who's practicing that way is disconnected in that way. But for me, the sexual healing comes from that true emotional intimacy being attended to and addressed. Mm. Yes. And um, because that was the real reason why I was unable for me because that those issues made my body sick and didn't matter what sexual technique yeah. you were going to do. I was in pain and so I didn't want to do it to begin with. But you right? still had <laughs> the
2: trauma in you. You were still holding that trauma in yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. exactly. There wasn't a safe space to release it and, and to be safe. Yeah. And I will say that the trust factor is enormous. Um, the ability to be vulnerable and safe—that is, the, to me, the crux of like where we come together.
1: Yeah, and and there's there's you know there's kind of a, a spectrum of how we address trauma healing, and in these transcendent, transformational, intensively um, sort of heroic healing modalities that want to dismantle the ego as quickly as possible so that we can transcend and escape the cycles of suffering, often what's done with trauma is to sort of scrutinize it, penetrate it, bust it apart, rip the scab off, right? So all of our ego patterns are coping mechanisms that we've developed to deal with the pain of our unhealed trauma. So it's Mm -hmm. like a scab, our ego is like a scab. And so healing modalities that want to bust up the ego and just get in there and, you know, like call people out and point out their ego every time they do it. And, you know, really, if they're very penetrative or masculine approaches can feel very transformational and transformative and you feel like you have this big result, but what you've done is ripped off the scab and now there's that wound again. Mm-hmm. And so, the other end of the spectrum, or it's kind of more like somewhere in the middle, is to um, find a balance between having an awareness of the coping mechanisms, but having that awareness be soft. And there's a feminine way of healing that, is, uh, that the womb is involved in of, of a holding. A space like a healing kiva or a cave, and it's dark in there. And whatever process needs to happen can happen in a safe and nurturing place. And so that's very different than getting in there, shining a spotlight on it, and making it all be exposed. Essentially, you're
2: healing from the inside out, not the outside in.
1: And when you do that, and when you nourish that. Um, that and allow for and hold whatever feelings come up. It can be very uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable um, in a different way than that scrutinizing spotlight approach, penetrative approach. That can be excruciating, right? (laughs) So, But it's over quick, right? You get the scab off. Whereas the discomfort of leaving the scab on there, watching yourself go through the pattern again and again with soft consciousness, oh, wow, I'm I'm doing this same pattern with my husband again. Look at us. We're still in this same relational pattern. I really would like us to be in a different way. How are we going to go through this? I don't know. How are we going to do it different? I don't know. Is he ever going to be able to do it different? I don't know. Am I ever going to be able to do it different? I don't know. Let's try. Here we are again, Try something different, maybe. I don't know. Let's see what happens, right? So there's an allowing and there's all these feelings that can come up, especially with somatic-based therapies like, you know, some of the embodied Shakti therapies that I do where you just feel where it resides in your body, allow the feelings to come up, give them your attention, but a soft allowing attention instead of a scrutinizing intention. And then that soft allowing allows deeper, more hidden wounds to arise and more tender, vulnerable feelings to arise that may have been kept in a hidden place um, when you were doing those scrutinizing practices, right? And those rip the scab off practices, right? And so so we can start to have some discernment with the kinds of healing support and ways that we support ourselves, the ways that we hold ourselves through healing processes and the kind of support, professional support and um, practitioner support that we receive of like allowing for a softer, more feminine healing approach.
2: Um, You were mentioning that, and it made me think of like in in shamanic practices, they talk about soul retrieval due to trauma and soul loss. Mm -hmm. And the old model would be this concept of, if you imagine you have this light body or this energetic body, and um, let's say you have trauma here, um, you know, you're sexually abused as a child, and that creates this huge hole in your light body, um, and you're projecting almost like this holographic image in the spirit realm of your your little girl is still over there, four years old, and this space. And when you do soul soul retrieval, you're calling that piece back to you to fill in the hole to become whole. Healing all literally means to become whole, right? Mm-hmm. You're in integrity. Integrity is the whole, right? Mm-hmm. How strong is the whole? Well, <clears throat> um, Sandra Ingerman, another uh, well-versed shamanic uh, practitioner talks more of the concept of soul remembering that instead of calling that traumatized piece back to you and trying to integrate it into the whole, you know, you remember who you really are and fill in that space. (laughs) And then that traumatized piece can die and go away. And it's kind of like, I like the idea of soul remembering versus, you know, let me pull back all the parts that got hurt because I have done ceremony where, you know, I've called my spirit back. Uh, Carolyn Mace calls it um, giving, sending your spirit on a mission. A lot of throat chakra issues um, and a lot of women who have thyroid issues, it's about expression and. The feminine's having a hard time expressing itself, but we're working on it and we're getting it out there. We're, we're having a voice, but um, your will, where, where are you sending your will to? Mm-hmm. And when, and, and some could posit that when you're in a traumatized space, you're willfully allowing it to stay away because you fear the pain of it, right? At some point, disassociation was a good thing, like it was protecting you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we could go on all day about yeah, we Christina and all of the different types of healing that we've explored and, uh, you know, ultimately I trust in every individual's journey that even if they have a cycle of re-traumatization like I did, uh, Of like even finding healers that are doing the same kind are you know perpetuating the same kind of traumatic dynamics Mm -hmm. um, that that is part of the healing process too sometimes we can't see that that's what's happening and so that happens and so Just like we repeat the same patterns in our romantic relationships or in our family relationships until we start to wake up to it because the pain ends up being so great that we're like, okay, there's got to be a different way to do this. And so then there's a gazillion different types of healing modalities out there. And that's why I keep coming back to womb-centered healing because there's a direct connection to source and there's a bio-mysticism about the womb that feels like it's the missing piece uh, in all of this is if we come back to the womb and we look at the model of spirit and emotional wisdom that we have in the biology of the womb. That's why I keep describing that biological processes, and we understand things in that way, then that feels very much more grounded than a lot of these theories about this or that or the other thing that's way out here. And so But I also want to say that we talked about doing another healing circle around sexual healing in the Womb-Centered Healing Temple. And Christine and I are planning on sort of co-facilitating something like that, Um, coming up in the Womb-Centered Healing Temple. uh, What what date did we decide? February 10th, Sunday, February 10th, uh, probably at 5 p.m. Pacific time, which is 7 p.m., so look for invitations for that and um, and uh, we will carry on with the discussion but in that meeting we will actually get into you'll join you can join us live on a Zoom call like this and share about what aspects of this sexual healing process you're in and then we can do some ceremony, some meditation, some embodied Shakti practices around that or to bring healing to to this important area of our lives. So um, thank you so much, Christina, for hosting this interview and for collaborating with me in this um, important healing process. It, it, it feels lovely. Thank you
2: for being here and sharing all your wisdom. It's, mm-hmm. um, I always like being in
1: your gentle energy. Oh. <laughs> don't worry, I'm like stinging nettles, but my sting is beneficial to you. I know. <laughs> I don't know if you felt my sting, but okay. it's there, but it doesn't, it's, it's beneficial. I can maybe. We're, we're very homeopathic. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have a beneficial sting. Yeah, you want to get stung by me. <laughs> All right, so you have a wonderful day everyone and you too
2: i'm here and i hope that you all found this a very meaningful conversation please put all your uh, comments um any thoughts that you'd like us to like kind of expand upon in our healing circle we do really hope you join us it'll be um again february 10th sunday and 7 p.m central time 5 p.m pacific um Thank you once again, Sama, and um, love you guys and we'll talk more soon. Bye for now.